Hello and welcome to the Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how much is too much in MMOs, roughly, I guess is the best way to put it. But we'll get into that in a second. But before we do that, Buddy, what are the, what are the, what are the th what's the thing we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we like to talk about games. Uh, and this one is kind of like, this feels like a return to, I don't know. I don't want to say return to form because we never lost our form. Okay, Mango, we've always been on on form, right? But it is a, it is an abstract concept in gaming. I feel like we used to do episodes on shit like this all the time. So the idea is, there are these games and services, right? You know, um, WoW, Hearthstone, D uh, Destiny, um, Magic the Gathering, know, League of Legends, arena. right? Magic the Gathering Arena, right? Like just a million of these that are essentially asking you to just invest heaps and heaps and heaps of time into the game and into that experience, right? Um, and many and many times these games have a variety of different game modes to engage in, right? They don't, it's not just, you know, one thing, it is 10 things, right? Um, all of which, you know, can progress your character or the battle pass or, or kind of whatever else. And the question kind of becomes like, is there is there such a thing as too much, right? Like, is it good for these games to have a wide variety of options for everybody to be playing? Um, or is it bad uh, that they are constantly demanding you to do shit you don't want to do because you feel obligated, right, to, to you know, do this thing and get this whatever reward kind of is, so. Yeah, and, and, and just to put a finer point on it, it's it's not, you know, it's not an it's not an and or it's like where that balancing point is, right? Yeah. So like to give to give the very stark example that was kind of the genesis for this idea, um, is I've been playing a lot of Destiny two recently, right? And there are like a a bunch of things you can do to get pinnacle gear, which is the gear that like puts that so by way of short explanation, the way that Destiny works is normal drops will drop up to a certain light level, and then after that, certain drops will drop only a certain amount above uh, or so I think it's I think right now it's 1550 you can get off of normal drops then powerful gear will get you 1550 to 1560 and then over 16 1560 to 1570 you have to get pinnacle gear drops and at that point powerful gear drops will only drop to I think it's your average light level so like right now my pinnacle gear drops drop at 1562 and my powerful gear drops drop at 1561 um, and it's the long climb up to 1570 that's kind of like the, the big progression um, and there's a bunch of ways to do this, right? You've got, like, um, you've got strikes, you've got PvP in the Crucible. Um, like, last week in particular, you had Iron Banner, which was another PvP thing um, that had four opportunities for Pinnacle Gear drops. There's raids, there's uh, dungeons, there's uh, environmental activities, all this good stuff, right? And, um, you know, when I was talking with, with Monica about this, because he's a friend of the cast, Monica is the other person that's, that we've, I've been playing with primarily, he's like, yeah, there's so much that you just can kind of pick the things you want to do and you don't have to do all of them. And I looked at him and said, oh, no. Oh, no. I have to do all of the things, even the ones that I don't want to do, because I need to get all the pinnacle gear. And on reflection, some of a lot of it isn't necessarily just the pinnacle gear drops. It's also that I have an exotic weapon. I have a new exotic weapon for the season. It's called uh, the, the Trespasser. It's a sidearm. And part of the part of its deal is it has a quest for the catalyst. The catalyst is a thing that makes it slightly better. Um, a lot of the exotic weapons have it, right? Um, getting the the catalyst for the exotic involves using it a bunch, right? Using it maybe when I want to use something else. And then I, there's also 
this resource called uh, Deep Sight Resonance, which it's certain weapons will drop with a red border on them. And if you use them enough, you get to pull the resonance off of them and use that use that to basically build custom weapons as opposed to having random rolls, right? Okay. Yeah. And and then on top of that, there's also the daily quests, right? And so all of these things are together that like, you know, if I was going to be very pessimistic about it, I did not play any Destiny last week that I just wanted to play. And that's not completely true, but it's like a good first approximation, right? Like I was playing Crucible with the last with the Trespasser because I wanted to finish the Trespasser catalyst. Um but not necessarily because I particularly like so the Trespasser is maybe a bad bad example because I like the Trespasser's weapon, so it's not a, as big a deal. But like mm-hmm. the deep set resident weapons, right? Like um, I specifically don't want to use most of those weapons. I just use them enough to get their deep state resonance off, pull it off, scrap the weapon, and then go about what I'm doing, right? And so at some point during that last week, I'm like, I'm doing things that I don't particularly want to do in a particular way just to kind of t- tick the boxes. And I thought this is kind of like I could see myself veering towards towards burnout territory. So, you know, this is kind of like a – base example that's that's where that's where i'm standing from okay i definitely feel this and the the thing that jumps to mind is hearthstone right when i'm playing hearthstone um you know something that i explained on last week's cast is that like a lot of the time when i'm playing hearthstone i'm playing everything right i'm trying to have a deck of everything because i get a daily quest and the daily quest says well play three you know, play 30 hunter cards. And it's like, well, now I need to go make a hunter deck, right? And this is how they get me to buy in, right? It is relatively easy to play Hearthstone free to play if you just want one deck. If you just have your one deck, that's it. That's all you care about. You are a one-trick pony. But that means you're going to be leaving these quests on the table, right? And and you're not going to be able to kind of like complete them or or sort of sort of um or sort of do them. But the interesting thing about Hearthstone is that you can re-roll quests, right? And one of the things that I've been doing much more fragrantly in my you know like now that I'm that I'm back playing Hearthstone is I'm just re-rolling quests I don't want. Right? If I get that 30 Hunter Spells quest, I don't give a fuck. I'll just re-roll it. I'll re-roll it until it's something good. Right, It'll eventually be deal 65 damage to the enemy hero, which I can complete on my Control Warrior deck I've been playing all fucking season. And that that's that. Right, We're done, basically. Um, on top of that... Right, Hearthstone also has like a million different game modes, um, and some of those game modes could be very useful to you know to like completing these things. Right, like maybe I'm not going to complete my thirty hunter cards quest in standard because I don't have, you know, I don't have the cards to make a good hunter deck. But maybe I have the cards to make a good hunter duels deck, and I'm going to play in duels. Right, duels is sort of like arena, but it's the, it's the, you walk in with a a twelve card deck that you craft your that like uh, that comes out of your collection, um, and then every time you you win you get free cards that are not part of your collection they just enter your you know like they enter your deck and your deck kind of goes goes up over time based on that right that's something where i just need 12 good hunter cards to do a a duels run i don't need any hunter cards if i want to do a an arena run right but the thing is is that like i don't like arena i i actually do sort of like duels but only in only in sort of moderation um and how willing and able am I um, to sort of avoid those game modes? Um, 
and just do the thing that I want to do, which is just slam my control warrior deck that I like playing in the meta that, that I like playing it. Um, I feel like the answer is that Harson's pretty good about this, right? Um, they used to suck at it, by the way, uh, but it is now much better with weekly quests and kind of the battle pass. Um, specifically because they introduce a little bit of like UI, they introduce a little bit of like programming that says when you re-roll a quest, it will never re-roll into another specific like quest like that, right? So if I get play 10 Murlocs and I re-roll that quest, it is never gonna give me something that's like play 30 Hunter cards. It's gonna give me something much more general than that, right? Um, and unfortunately, there's a, there's a little downside to that. You earn less experience on the more general quests than on the specific quests, um, but like, you know, who cares, right? Um, and I guess that's just sort of an interesting, like that's just sort of an interesting thing. Here are some things that were added to Hearthstone to allow you to not do the the the, uh, the anti-fun thing, right? And just keep doing the fun thing that you want to that you want to do. Um, these are sort of the these are like sort of the strategies that they uh, employed. Yeah, and funnily enough, because last week you talked about Hearthstone, I talked about Arena, where I thought there wasn't maybe enough variety that was maybe too far off the other end. Um, but it turns so something I, I think. To, for me, at least, it's actually tuned pretty perfectly because, like, a day or two after that happened, the month rolled over and the season end, ended. And I got shoved back down the ladder because that's that's how the system works, right? And all of a sudden, I was enjoying playing on the on the ladder again. Uh, so, you know, I was, like, last... Because I hadn't played in a while, I had forgotten that monthly rollover mechanic. And so, mm -hmm. so we hit the... Uh, so, right as I was starting to feel burned out, it, like, refreshed. It's like, here are your packs for hitting Platinum... Now you're back down to, like, gold four. Go get him, champ. Um, and on top of that, like, midweek magic has been has been fun enough. Like, it was a pre, it was pre-cons this week, so I did that earlier today. Um, and so I think there's a pretty good balance there. And like I said, like, there are particulars to this kind of, to, like, the newest set, New Capenna, that makes me play pretty much exactly one deck, which is that it's a, it's a three-color wedge, and so I have... Like, I can hit, like, almost every quest. And the, then, like, the ones which are play green and white spells, I don't. I just re-roll them once, and I'm in it. Um, I think under other sets, I'd have a little bit more variety. But that's not ultimately that important, uh, I don't think. Um, so, I, I, you know, I think that there is... I, I think that you, you pointed something very important, right? Like, the Hearthstone stuff, um, I think, did... Even though there was many less items did kind of push in that direction i don't want to play if i don't want to play hunter I, it's a slog to play hunter to, to get the uh the hunter quests done um yeah so are there any kind of like particular bit like what what, what kind of things can we harvest from this to get uh to get to a point and something else i'd like to bring up as, as another comparison point is world of warcraft um mm. anima stuff right like very early in the expansion when anima was at a premium i was I, I was doing a lot of the PvP quests, at least the ones I didn't have to, like, find a group for, because um, it rewarded pretty decent anima, um, and I didn't mind that much. And it was just, an, like, there were times when it was, like, you have to, like, win, like, seven arenas or whatever, and I was just, it was, like, taking me forever because I'm not very good at arenas. Um, mm -hmm. Or I, I think that's right. That's the one-on-one 2v2, 3v3 arenas, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, those were annoying, but as the expansion went on, and as Anima kind of as like a, uh, as a important resource fell off, I stopped care. Like I stopped caring is is a little too harsh, um, but like uh, I 
felt less pressure to it, right? Like right now, I'm basically in maintenance mode for WoW, right? I do I do what I need to do to like get a get like the Xerath Mortis weekly done. Uh, most of I'm interested in the cosmetics out of the uh, out of the chests, um, and I uh, you know I uh, and uh, I do I do the WoW companion thing because that's on my phone. It doesn't take that much time, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, and I felt like I could jump back in and get more anima, but like it's because because it is less rare now, and I collect it more frequently. I don't feel as compelled, and that's probably why I'm not burning out on that game like I usually do. So, you know, that's actually super interesting because on one hand, I do sort of feel that, and I and I sort of agree with you, but on another hand, I actually really like uh anima and i want anima right um so for instance there was a while where i was doing the patterns world quest or the the patterns weekly quest on a bunch of different characters and the reason why was because i was um i was farming anima basically i would do the world boss because the world boss gives you a big chunk of 20 percent or whatever and then i would just get in these groups that just farm rares over and over again and the rares each drop like seven to ten anima little nodes right and each rare is three to four percent of your bar so like to to max out the the patterns bar you need to kill i mean a a huge number of rares obviously right um you know whatever it is the uh, like like 40 or something um and uh no wait 40 would be way too much it would be whatever the math doesn't matter here you just need to kill a ton of rares right um and because each of those rares drop drop more anima, I was specifically avoiding doing world quests or chests or um, things that were not as anima rich, right? Like I wanted to complete my patterns doing the most anima rich activity I possibly could, which was killing rares. And then obviously killing the world boss because the world boss has a chance of, you know, gear that I want, right? Um, and... That was a fun experience, and I was I, w- I went really hard on it for a while, and then I achieved the goal that I was farming that anima for, and then I fell off of it immediately. I stopped farming patterns, and I just moved on. You know, I started playing other stuff. It was actually like that week before where I was talking about playing BattleTech, um, where that it was it was that week. I I farmed out the anima stuff that I was looking to that I was looking to get that I was looking to buy, and then I just immediately just moved on and moved past. Um, move past the anima grind and i would say that that's a good grind right like that was a grind that kept me engaged and the moment at which it was no longer a thing that would burn me out i i fell off of it immediately and i feel like wow has a million of these kinds of grinds right um you know for instance i went really hard for the ciphers of the first ones at first because i wanted to fill out the whole tree there's this whole tree of ciphers of the first one but then you do that and all of a sudden oh well now i'm not logging on and doing dailies anymore I'm not logging on to doing the world quest anymore. I don't care about that stuff, right? Or like re- reputation is a good example of this, right? Like, oh, I want to be exalted with the new faction so that I can get the mount off of the vendor or whatever. Fair enough, right? Um, and that motivates a lot of play. That motivates me to do a lot of things that are going to get me that reputation. But at the same time, um, you know, like that reputation is, is, is finite. I will eventually just be exalted and not have to... You know, like not have to worry about things anymore, and I don't know what the magic is there. It is there is something about the crossover of a high value currency to low value currency that like fucks with my brain chemistry basically, right? Where I go, this thing is not worth my time, and I don't care to do it anymore, right? Um, but you also don't want to be in an opposite position where that you you want to play WoW, you want to log on, and there's nothing to do. Um, 
and uh and so it's just it's this it's this like esoteric sweet spot i don't even think i could possibly like dig into the specifics of how it works where one second anima is the most important currency that i am farming in a dedicated way for hours in a week and then the next week i just could care less so i i think i i think there is something there because i I i think this is important right like part of it is that anima doesn't directly buy you power in most situations but it does buy you a lot of peripheral things right it buys you mog it buys you cosmetics of various sorts it also is a currency that funds your war table which kind of like gives you direct economic things right it gives you mats it gives you money like this this is why i keep doing this is why i maintain like a modest level of anima income is because it basically self perpetually funds my um uh my war table my war table is giving me like an amount of of in-game income uh that i that i constantly cycle right and so i and because that is like it's low effort enough to get with some real goals but it's not like so i think that the the difference here is like with pinnacle gear right in destiny that's raw power right like right you know if instead of anima Every time you completed this, you were guaranteed to get, like, you know, a two-eye level bump on something. You'd probably feel more obligated to do it. Even Absolutely. If you, even if you didn't want to, right? Like, even if you were, like, done with it, right? Like, and I think some of some of that comes down to how much effort it actually is, right? Like, I can fill my patterns bar with, like, a day and a half. A day if I've, if, if I've, uh, if I do the pat, like, so the, um, the PvP... The world PvP like threads quest gives you like forty percent on that bar. So like, like wow. you know, I usually get that done before raid, um, uh, uh, on on the Tuesday, and then I'm you know I'm done with it, right? And it, I'm not pushing for the anima. I'm pushing for that completion because I'm interested in the ciphers for the chest from the ciphers vendor that potentially gives cosmetics, right? Yeah. And like you know, I could optimize that a little bit more. Right? Like if I did the quests every day, I'd have slightly more ciphers. And I'd probably get like another chest. But at a certain point, you do the ROI, right? Where you yeah. say, this is not worth my time, right? The patterns is worth my time because it's a big, huge haul of right. a gazillion ciphers all at once, right? Um, it is a relatively efficient way to farm ciphers. Um, but the dailies are maybe not an efficient way to farm ciphers or whatever, the chess, whatever you want to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's also something because that happens on the power end, right? Like when I think about, wow, we could both be really maximizing our characters by doing PvP, right? But because the vault is a locked, you know, you will at most get one item out of the vault. You will never be able to pick a second item out of the vault, right? The best you can do is kind of farm out the options. It actually is a pretty reasonable thing for somebody to go, yeah, I'm just gonna do the raid. Like, I want a raid, I'm gonna do the raid, I'll pick up raid gear out of the vault, that's it, right? Or, you know, conversely, I'm just gonna do Mythic Plus, I'm just gonna do, you know, PvP, right? Um. And I think it is that constraining effect that has it, right? If we were in a world in which, you know, every like, – let's say you could pick out not – if you filled your vault, you could pick out nine items. You can get every single item in your vault, right? We would feel a lot more compelled to do, you know, to do PvP in order to get those items, right? And also it would really, like, affect the flow of items and, like, that – in that whole, like, economy, right? The thing about the, the vault, especially for, like, Mythic Plus players is, you know, like, it is a – it is a perfection tool. I have most of the gear that I need at 272. Um, 
And it is about, you know, slowly picking up those really choice 278 upgrades, right, to, to make my gear that much better. Yeah, and I, I think also along those lines um, is is this uh, – how do I want to put this? Oh, is, is the fact that, like, PvP, like, getting the PvP slots and getting the Mystic Plus slots and getting the Raid slots, those are all not things you can just do. If that makes sense, right? Like they require some amount of effort and skill in Destiny, mm -hmm. right? Like, like, so like I said, there are ways to get there are a bunch of ways to get Pinnacle gear. One of them is the raid. I play with basically just Monic and like you know, I'm looking for I, I'll maybe find other people to play with at some point. But the the point being is that like I can't go easily go do the raid by myself. I'd have to put some effort into like finding people and actually doing the raid. So that one doesn't bother me as much. Right? Like I don't feel obligated to go get the raid um, piece of Pinnacle gear. The Vanguard one is like run three raids or run th run three strikes with the element matching the burn and it's match made, right? So, you know, that's like, oh, that's really easy to do. It's kind of tedious and, you know, I have to find, you know, find a day when I'm when I'm feeling it um, to like not feel like a – make it feel like a chore, right? But like that's like a thing that the only – like it's not a matter of skill investment. It's a matter of time investment for all practical purposes, right? Um, and I think that's part of what contributes to debate. Like, it's like, there is no good reason for me not to get that piece of pinnacle gear. So I should go get it, even if I don't really want to want to do it. And that feels kind of like a true, kind of like this thing with the, with the, with the catalyst I'm talking about, right? Like, or, yeah. or the resonant weapons, right? They're not hard things to do. They're just thing. They're things that I have to make specific choices that maybe don't match what I'm feeling like doing at that moment. Um, and that great. Yeah. Because those are very specific things, right? right yeah. You know, so for instance, I sort of think this is the advantage of Hearthstone's approach in a way, right? Because with Hearthstone, you can just re-roll the quests. If you, if you get a quest you don't like, you can re-roll it, and you're still getting essentially the same amount of value. I'm still right. getting the same amount of progression, right? Maybe I pay a tiny little tax because I go from something specific to something general, but functionally speaking, I am still getting the, the, the progression, and I have turned an activity I don't want to do into an activity I do want to do. But because the, you know, the things are very specific when it comes to, um, uh, when it comes to Destiny, Destiny it, it pigeonholes you in a way that is, that is frustrating. And I actually think that this also has said, wow, too, right? Like, this is the same sort of frustration that people who didn't want to farm the Maw or Corthia for, for code, or conduit upgrades are, are experiencing, right? right? Because that is a piece of content, this kind of, like, deep world, you know, like, world content grind. That's the kind of content that they're not interested in. And so it feels like you're being forced into doing it by placing this thing that they want. And I would obviously argue, as I have in the past, that it doesn't fucking matter. It's less than a percent of your damage to have max level conduits, right? The conduits you get at a rate of Mythic Plus are just fine. Um, but like, yeah, but for, for that person, right, like the fact that the only way to get them at max level was to do this thing was, uh, was, was you know, was pretty daunting. Um, and I think the same thing was also true of Torghast, right? Where Torghast used to be a, like the place to go farm um soul ash and soul cinders right but with 9.2 like not only can you just buy soul ash and soul cinders with cosmic flux but cosmic flux drops from everything it drops from the raid it drops from world quests you know it drops from uh you know each mythic plus dungeon you do so if i'm doing 10 mythic plus in a week well that's a thousand cosmic flux if i'm if i'm clearing the raid that's 1100 plus all of the trash maybe 1500 
you know, Cosmic Flux. So you are getting a lot of that value in other places. And as a player who just wants to raid, as a player who just wants to Mythic Plus, um, that's kind of a fair thing. The counterpoint here, though, is that I actually kind of think that it's fair for a game to ask you to step outside of your comfort zone a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, and kind of encourage you to do a thing that you would otherwise not necessarily, like, put the time in on. Um, and that's also probably, like, a part of the balancing act, right? Um, so, you know, for instance, something that people talk about uh, is that the world in World of Warcraft feels empty because people treat it like a lobby game. Because all they're doing is they're just zoning into instances, right? They're just doing mythics. They're just doing the raid or whatever. And so from that perspective, it's actually pretty good that at the beginning of a new patch, there is a world content quest grind that they're that that player is going to have to do for a very powerful reward, right? In the case of nine point two, that would be the double legendaries, and and every every, every you know like every high end player did it, um, and it's just sort of a question of what is a fair grind to ask of that player who doesn't really want to do world content, but you think it's a good idea to get people out in the world doing that stuff, um, and what is an unfair ask of that player? Yeah, and I I I that 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 makes a lot of sense, and I think. I don't know, just thinking about it more, there's also kind of like I think there's also like interplaying pieces that are maybe a little bit harder to see too, right? Like um, contributing to this on the Destiny Two side is that basically any gear piece of gear in the same slot can upgrade into like can be used as an upgrade for something you already have, so it's kind of like almost always worth it from a power perspective, right? Like in WoW, you could like get a drop of a piece of gear that's like relatively useless to you, right? In Destiny, right, like, if I get a kinetic weapon with a higher eye level, or a light level, is, is the correct term for that game, um, than the gun I'm currently using, but I still want to use the current gun, I just have to have an upgrade module, and then I can, like, turn my, use the, like, make the power of this gun, or the gun I like, the power of the gun I just got dropped, um, and sacrificing that gun in the process, right? So, it, it essentially, like, essentially imagine if every piece of gear that you got dropped in WoW was a token that could match the piece of gear you already have at a higher eye level, right? Like, yep. you'd probably feel that a little bit more, like, it would be more worth going, like, it would be more worth going for because it would be less risk of getting something useless, which is weird because, like, you generally think of that as a good thing, but in terms of, like, this obligation cycle, it, you know, it pushes in, the, in that other direction. Um, yeah, and there's a different, there's also another contour here that I think is interesting, which is that gear functions pretty differently in Destiny and in, and in World of Warcraft, right? Um, in WoW, gear is mostly passive, which is to say that the amount and type of gear realistically does not matter all that much to the 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 second to second gameplay of WoW, right? Um, you know, outside of the fact that you could th like technically put together some really dog shit builds with like you know incorrect secondary slots or whatever, real really the gameplay in you know in one version of your spec and the gameplay in another version of your spec are are like remarkably similar right um whereas in something like destiny that is not necessarily true because you are getting drops in as these exotics um or or legendaries or whatever that are having a really huge impact on the way that you approach the game right having a different gun in destiny like walking into an encounter with a sidearm versus a, a pulse rifle is just like a very different experience, right? Uh, because those weapons fire in, in an incredibly different way. Um, and that creates this other layer of 
when am I when am I doing the thing with the thing I don't want to do? Right, like you kind of mentioned before with the yeah. with like the other the other the other guns. It is rare for me in WoW, for instance, to be forced into playing essentially a spec that I am not interested in. Right, the game is realistically never making a demand of me to go play a Ret Paladin, for instance. Right, if that if that is a spec that I just happen to not enjoy compared to an Arms Warrior. Right, um, but because there are these very specific specific kind of quests and objectives that are tied to very specific guns it seems like destiny is asking people to essentially kind of play classes that they might not necessarily enjoy kind of all the time yeah and i mean it's not it's not classes it's gun it's guns which you're but you're absolutely correct on that front and like maybe some of this um is is you know your classic kind of like you know well if you don't like it then like you know there's a certain level of like you know if i don't like using this exotic why am I getting the catalyst for it, right? Yeah. Like, um, what what is it? What is a catalyst? Is that the so it's like a, so it's for exotics. It's the mass instead of master working the normal way. Um, you it's you essentially earn it like uh, so for like the last trespass or not the last trespass. I keep calling the trespass for this thing I've been I've working on. And I like this gun, so it's not a, it's not a huge deal. The catalyst is first. They had to shoot it like I had to use it a bunch, and. Um, and used it a bunch in Gambit and Crucible and, uh, and Vanguard activities, which are like strikes and nightfalls. Um, and once I, and I just finished that a couple days ago, now I just have to kill a bunch of shit with it, right? So having it, uh, you know, around, like, I'm incentivized to always kind of have it on and use it. Um, part of the thing there, too, is that, like, it takes it, like, you can only have one exotic weapon equipped um and one exotic piece of armor so although armor doesn't have the catalyst stuff um and so like if i wanted to if i like if i want to use a different weapon i can't be working on my uh my trespasser catalyst like by comparison the a gun i really like which i can't remember the name of now it's it's like the the expansion it's a submachine gun that does poison damage i got the catalyst on that one was a little bit more straightforward but two like i liked using that gun a bit more so i've just been using it all the time and i got the catalyst for it. it's like well, I could use it, but I should be working, like, you know, I could be working on the catalyst for this gun. And once I finish that, there's guns I like. like. It's this weird perverse kind of incentive cycle where it's like, well, I got the catalyst on the gun I really like. So I'm going to work on the gun I like. I also like, but not as much. And then I'm going to work on one of the guns that I don't like so much. And then after that, I'm going to work on another a gun that I really don't like, but I feel like I need to get the catalyst for, right? So yeah. And, 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 and this is like everything. One of, like one of the things I talk about when I, when I talk to people about, you know, what it means to be like doing my job or like what are secrets of game development that people don't necessarily understand is that there's never really such thing as like quote unquote i would say good design and like bad design it's all about upsides and downsides it's all, it's all trade-offs right because the upside to that system is you're actually encouraging people to to in the same yeah. other way get out of their comfort zone maybe they find a gun that they really enjoy and by you know they they go down the path they're they're doing this gun it's my favorite this gun is my my second favorite this gun is my third favorite or whatever but by the time they get to that third gun they're kind of like actually now that i get it now that i sort of see it i i like this a lot right um which is an experience that i've had in a lot of at a lot of different places in a lot of different games right um so you know for instance in in wow in legion there was the mage tower and in the mage tower you know you, if you defeated it on certain specs you got certain like weapon appearances and those weapon appearances were only for that it was like it was like a time locked thing right you either did the tower or you know the game changed and the tower would have been trivialized so they disabled the tower for everybody and just kind of said you know, like, 
it is no longer it's like no longer a thing to do well that got me to branch out and play a bunch of different classes that i wouldn't nor like normally play and even though i always know that that my favorite class is warrior it has always been my favorite class it's always got the stuff that i'm interested in this is also true of something like hearthstone right um being able to kind of pick apart a new class that I have never seen before. In this case, it was like Rogue, right? Where I got really into Rogue, and now Rogue is probably one of my favorite classes. Um, you know, like that. that is a that is a good thing. And that only happens under this these these sorts of, uh, like under, under these sorts of circumstances, um, which is neat, which is, which is kind of interesting. Um, do you feel like all of the exotics are relatively balanced with one another in, the, in this? Like, is it entirely a matter of preference or are there things that are definitively stronger than others? Um, so, so catalysts definitively make the weapon you're holding stronger, right? So like, that's a straight power upgrade for the, for the thing. Um, part of it is like, I think I, so the, the, the trespasser thing popping off of of kind of like only list activities I think made it worse for me because I was using it a bunch in Crucible and frankly I'm just like so so the mechanic of the trespasser is if you kill something with it and then you reload it you get basically a much longer burst on the on the next shot and if you kill something with and it'll chain with itself right so sure like, long burst like kill something reload long burst I shoot something with it. If that kills, it reloads the gun and gives you another long burst, right? Um, in PvE content, it's fucking great. I love it. Um, in PvP, it's very strong, but you have to be very good. And I'm not very good. I'm not even, like, realistically, in like with as rusty as I am at, at Destiny, I'm, like, not good at all. Um, and so, like, it's me doing these, like, doing these underpowered bursts, maybe getting the reload thing once and then probably missing the long person so like wasting kind of the the whole point of like using the gun and being frustrated with it right and then also being like well i've got the sidearm in the second slot so i probably want an energy weapon or not an energy weapon uh, uh you know a uh, a rare weapon in the first slot right like the green ammo i forget what it's called uh in the first slot uh which is fine but like you know if i wanted to use something else in that slot right like it's it's less optimal um and so uh, and so that was kind of like a pain. It was also a thing where like, I probably like, I, part of that was, I was interested in getting the, in getting the catalyst as fast as possible. Cause I, I like the weapon, right? I like the weapon, but not in the crucible, but I like the crucible, but not with the weapon, but because I wanted to get them both at the same time and was forcing myself to, to use the thing that I didn't particularly like part of it, part of it too, I think is, is very personal to me in that, like, I really like hand cannons and scout rifles and I haven't found any, any in this, in this current set of things that I particularly like, but I think that's just kind of like, you know, the way the seasons fell. So I don't, you know, it's not like, a, yeah, no, I feel like I've, I've been in that same situation, right? Like th this is, this is why I fall off of Hearthstone sometimes. My favorite deck is Control Warrior, right? And if I'm in a meta where Control Warrior is bad, it's not a deck, it's not an archetype, and there isn't some other archetype that's keeping me around, uh, you know, I, I I fall off the game, right? Because the the way the, that that bedrock way that I want to play is just not available. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think I think that's that that's part of what's hitting me uh, in Destiny. But I also don't want to like count, you know, like. I think it's better that they have all these ways to. Uh, uh, have we not been doing sound this entire time? Am I that? Dumb? Oh my god! No, I haven't had sound this entire time. Wow. Wow. That's really embarrassing. Yep. 
<laughs> and no one in the chat bothered to tell us. All right. Well, there's that. Um, I'll have to... YouTube video might take a little bit more time because we're not going back and doing that whole half hour again. Uh, um, but yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Um, uh, I lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, there's also a piece of it. The, the thing that the thing that I'm kind of attacking with that question is this idea of optimization of the um, of like the specific build itself, right? So, for instance, you know, like is there is there a world in Destiny in which there is an exotic that is broken or overpowered or best in slot, right? Which are you know, like those are pretty common WoW things, right? Um, or just other right, like that 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 terminology is pretty common. And maybe I don't, maybe I want to be using a hand cannon, but the best gun is this assault rifle or whatever. Um, and so it, I'm being kind of forced out of my comfort zone by, you know, like I'm, I'm being forced by the game in a, in, a, in a balancing way, in a tuning way to sort of play this other, this other sort of. That uh, definitely happens. They're definitely like meta picks and not, um, and that usually only like really makes a difference in. Very high-end content and in PvP. Because um, PvP balance, as you might imagine, is a little bit different than PvE balance. True. Um, so, uh, so that's not a particular problem for me just because, like, I usually kind of ignore that in PvP. And in PvE, I don't... Like, it's usually flexible enough for me to not care. Um, but I could see that being an issue for other people, right? Like, I think that's definitely part of the, part of the mix here, right? Like, you feel like you need to kind of push in a certain direction because that's that's what the meta pick is um uh most of that's actually been kind of like like you have to grind for armor each season and you want high stat armor um basically like your stat totals on armor can vary widely from like 50 something to i feel like at the high end you can get like 70 base piece 70 stat base piece armor um um and they've they've actually been better about giving you ways to like reliably generate high stat armor instead of just kind of like redoing things until you until you find it so i think that that's on that on that front it's good um mm -hmm. and honestly i think that like so this this is interesting because i think this 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 goes back to this kind of like burnout conversation we've kind of had over the past year on this podcast almost right like um uh sorry i just lost myself for a second but th that's that's where it is right so like because I can do all this pinnacle stuff each week, I feel pretty obligated to do all of it. But after, like, theoretically, if I keep at it with, like, doing as many of these as I can, I'll actually hit max light level um, within, like, I think like, probably, like, five or six weeks. Which, you know, is we've got, like, you know, the I think the season's, like, three to four months, right? So, you know, um, that's, like, half to, to like, a, a third of the time, right? So... Six, six to eight weeks to, to, to max out. Yeah, that seems reasonable. Yeah. It's probably better than in, than in WoW. I feel like most seasons in, in WoW, most people end the season not max out, right? Right, but, like, the the chase there is, is – is, so the chase there – but the chase there is more strung out, right? Which is part of why I think I'm not burning out on it, right? Like, like I'm raiding twice a week each week, right? Um, and I guess theoretically I could be pushing to – like, at – the very kind of most extreme i could clear the raid once a week right like mm -hmm. um and get gear that way um whereas the equivalent in Dis destiny is doing a whole bunch of other stuff to 
get the get the gear level up, right? Like if I was more constrained in my ability, right? Like I wouldn't hit the end as fast, but I also wouldn't feel like I needed to do as much each week to get there, which is, you know, again, this is like I could choose not to do this stuff, but I, like, you know, the, the brain poison part of this is 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 the issue, right? Like, you know, if if I am you know, if if I am John Bungie trying to keep as many subscribers to Destiny as possible, right? I want I don't want Mango burning out because he feels like he has to do as many pinnacle as much pinnacle gear as he can each week. I want him to feel like he's playing a comfortable amount of Destiny each week, such that he's doing it. And he doesn't feel obligated to do more, right? Which, yeah, and there's an interesting thing because I guess I'm actually sort of wrong about WoW. The thing that happens in WoW though is that we set sort of limits for ourselves. We set sort of ceilings for ourselves, right? We could be world first raiders who are, you know, rival rank, gladiator rank, whatever the rank is in PvP, who are pushing plus 15s every every single week, right? Um, and I bet under those circumstances you would probably, right, like max out with everything at, you know, item level 278, super, super best in slot or whatever. But the demand of being a mythic raider, um, the demand of being a, a top end PvPer is just so high that, like, we opt out of it. And we just kind of go, you know what? A ahead of the curve is fine enough. I don't need cutting edge. I need ahead of the curve. That's my goal here, right? Um, or, you know, something relatively similar um, when it comes to uh, something relatively similar when it comes to uh, Mythic Plus or, or, or PvP or whatever else, right? Like, there is some ceiling that we're just sort of willing to accept. We're never going to get better than this. We're never going to go farther than this. Which I actually think is an underrated phenomenon, right? Um, something that is topical in a weird way and all over the news is Diablo Immortal, right? Have you been seeing all this stuff on, like, Twitter, these Diablo Immortal takes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, the, yeah, I, saw, like, I saw, like, it was, like, Jason Schreier, like, uh, like did, like, um... I think he did Diablo Immortal, or like he he did like a dungeon, and like it was like ninety nine cents to unlock this thing, and you have to do it now, only now, only now. And in the course of like getting the screenshot, the deal had expired, and you know it was like going hard on FOMO. But yes, yes, I yeah, there, and there's more stuff like that in Diablo Immortal, right? The one that that people are pointing to that is making the headlines, right, is that it costs a hundred thousand dollars to max out a character in Diablo Immortal. That's a bad number. Yeah, that's you know, a lot of money. Wow. That's that's a lot of money, right? But like when you sort of dig into the specifics of it, right? Like that would require you getting like the max the maximum gem slots, and then also getting all of the you know like upgrading all of your gems to to rank five gems, which like has these these insane diminishing returns, and that's where all of this money is in, right? Basically, right? Uh, but if you are a, a relatively normal player who is doing relatively normal things, you know you will be able to do the raid, you'll be able to do dungeons, you'll be able to gear out a character character inside of a Diablo Immortal season um, just by uh, just by like playing the game. A free-to-play player will have to do more than a, you know... Uh, a whale? Well, no, not a whale. What's like the stop between whale? Like, we have, we have friends who are playing Diablo Immortal who bought the battle pass and will maybe spend an extra five or ten bucks on individual bundles as necessary right but they are otherwise a a, 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 per, a perfectly normal player right like this is somebody who's going to be spending 30 bucks on diablo immortal over the next couple of months 
right? That's a, that's a that's a very reasonable amount. We we would say, right? That's a reasonable amount that somebody um, could could spend on the game to get kind of like bang for their buck. That player is going to do, you know, like there's a, there's a lot in the game that is off that is on offer to that that kind of player, and all of that comes down to where are you willing to put these caps, right? The idea that it is so right like just like that it that a hundred thousand dollars is what it takes to max out a diablo character comes with it the implicit assumption that maxing out a diablo character is like a goal worth striving for in in the first place right when in actuality i feel like most players opt out of that end that end of experience right there are few players who are going to play a Diablo Mortal or a Diablo three season, for instance, outside of all this monetary stuff, right? There are few players who are going to play a Diablo three season until they have like a maxed out character. Normally, they play enough to get the set, maybe do a couple of achievements on top of that, maybe you know farm greater rifts until they get some some whatever, and then they just kind of put it to the wayside, right? Um, and I feel like that is a much more common experience than people think of when we when we talk in these sorts of terms because we tend to think of in terms of these absolutes right like what does it cost to max out a character yeah and i i think i think kind of along like just because i think that absolutely makes sense i think to, to your point about us putting limits on ourselves in wow i think i think part of that is too is like like i was saying earlier like there's like this kind of difficulty gradient that kind of affects it as well right like um uh, like the fact that like raiding, like being a mythic raider is a hard thing to do and isn't guaranteed, I think is a big part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like if, if we could hit, if we could hit max eye level by just doing patterns each week, right? Um, then we would all feel very obligated to do patterns, right? If only just to get AOTC earlier, right? Like, yeah. um, uh, and I think I think that's kind of like this thing that I'm identifying with Destiny is that like there's a lot of stuff there's like a lot of things that are like the equivalent of patterns that take a lot longer to do, and so I feel like I need to to go do them. And again, this is a yeah. brain poison thing, right? Like obviously, friend of the cast, Monic doesn't have this problem. He says I don't want to do Vanguard stuff this week. I won't do Vanguard stuff this week, and I'll maybe hit max high level a bit later, which is probably the healthier way to do it. But like this is this is pretty consistently I know how I I interact with these types of games. This is like again historically why I burn out on WoW um, a couple weeks in or a couple months into the expansion is because whatever grind they have isn't as spaced out as nicely as it was in this expansion, and so I just like you know disgust myself at some point and run away. Um, and I feel yeah, like and, and and something that I want to bring up. Um, that, that was also on my mind is that this happens for single player games too, right? Um, this, I think, is the core of what people hate about like Ubisoft open world games when we when we meme on Ubisoft open world games. It's because the game is showing you all the time, oh, there's all this stuff to collect, right? You know, you could go get little music notes that are this little puzzle where you got to run across the, the rooftops of whatever Nassau, right? Um, or, you know, you have to, you have to do a little, you know, some like little platforming puzzle to figure out how to get this chest. And in the bottom right hand corner, there's a bunch of ticks for the chests and it, it does not just say an open-ended number. You have found five chests. It says you have found five out of 12. Well, 
now I want to find the other seven chests, right? I want to complete it, right? Before before I sort of um, before I sort of move on. And the reason those things, right? Like when I when I talk about upside downside, the reason those things are included in the experience is because they are inherent to wanting more right that players want to play games and they want games to offer them lots and lots and lots of content and this is content to offer that player if you are the the assassin's creed you know super fan who 100% the game this is a this is great news for you it means every game has more for you to do but if you are not that super fan and you are not in a position to sort of put aside right? Like all of these little collective thoughts, it is really easy to burn yourself out on them. Right. Um, and I feel like this happens in, you know, I feel like this happens in a lot of those single player experiences where, you know, this happened to me in cyberpunk. Right. Um, and I, I ignored so much of the side stuff in cyberpunk. I, I tried my very best to just beeline the romance option and just beeline the main story, right? Which were the two things that, that Tim Rogers sort of asked of people in their cyberpunk choose your own review. Um, and the unfortunate thing is I burned out on that game just doing those things. Even when I set the parameters, I burned out on the game, right? Um, and fighting that feeling is just tough. It is just incredibly hard. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's interesting because, like, I think you're absolutely right, right? Like, when we did, when we talked about Far Cry 5, is that the right one? Mm -hmm. Like, I basically started doing everything in the first zone I went to, but then I kind of, like, maxed out the skill tree. I was like, fuck it, I don't need to do any more of this. And then I just, like, beeline the main quest. And that kind of worked for me, right? Because, like, I, was, I wasn't getting rewards that I cared about out of anything anymore. Um, yeah. Uh, in contrast, my experience with Elden Ring is a game I absolutely, I absolutely adore. Um, and even your problems wasn't this problem. Your problem was a problem with like uh, with you completely, know, yeah, completely unrelated. Related. Just yeah. about one specific location and one specific boss, right? And so like, there's none of that kind of like, you know, there, you know, X out of ten things. There's a ton of stuff there, right? But you can just kind of go like, like, I know I've missed some stuff just from like peripheral conversations I've heard around, like, like the the guy you got the the, the nice katana from. I never found mm -hmm. him, right? Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to interact with that person this playthrough, right? Like, um, and so, like, even though I'm, like, actively seeking out a bunch of things, I don't feel that completionist urge, right? Like, I, like, because there's no out of ten part of it, right? Like, you know, I... I do you think that is the operative piece? I, I, in a lot of ways I do, right? Like, I think that, like, it being there but it not telling me what I'm missing is... Is, is 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 a big important piece of it yeah um yeah i i definitely think about that uh i definitely think about that a lot like in some ways i think i actually do prefer some of these ubisoft open open world games to uh to something like elden ring right um you know so for instance assassin's creed valhalla while i was really deep in assassin's creed valhalla i did have a really good uh, like experience with that game and i think i would probably say it was a better experience than my experience with elden ring right um and part of that is that like part of that is just unrelated to the rest of this it's just on like a raw narrative level one of the things that appealed to me about valhalla was each of these little zones had their own storyline right with characters that were reoccurring and i was really i i just thought it was really good writing right um and and part of it was also just sort of the world building of the 
like of the place in general was more um, realistic and lived in, right? Um, you know, you were walking into towns and villages and cities that felt like towns and villages and cities, whereas kind of everything in Elden Ring feels like a like an area in WoW to kill mobs. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like all all of the FromSoft games are kind of like you know fallen yeah. fallen kind of. Kings. And I think that, yeah. and you know, again, upside downside. I think that that works for FromSoft people. Yeah. I don't think that they want to go to town, talk to fifty different you know fuckers, and have them all go, hmm, "Oh, well, welcome, welcome to my shop." You know, I work at Bellathor's in the Garden District, or what? You know, like let's like, do a drinking the, contest. The, uh, yeah. Yeah, most of these kinds of characters, most of these kinds of players don't give a fuck about that stuff. I just happen to like that. Um, and, and then there's also, like, like another piece of contrast to this might be Far Cry New Dawn, for instance. Um, which I also think is similar to Elden Ring in that it is um, mostly a landscape of hostile enemies, right? Um, there is your one home base, and you are upgrading and improving that home base and, you know, preventing guys from attacking your home base, for instance, all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, but otherwise, everywhere else out in the out in the world is, you know, is like built to to sort of like built to sort of um, uh, kind of like fuck you up. Uh, essentially, just be a place to go farm like mobs or whatever, right? Um, <clears throat> but the different challenges that are present in a FPS open world stealth game are just fundamentally different than the kinds of challenges that are uh, in a third person action RPG. Right. So like, you know, the process of going to an outpost and killing everyone in the outpost without the alarm getting off, that is a, a much more satisfying experience in Far Cry than it would be in Elden Ring just because Elden Ring is, isn't built for that. Yeah. Right. Like it, it's not it's not built for that kind of gameplay. Right. Um, and I think so. Really, my point is, I think these kind these kinds of things really affect the UX experience. Right. Like how the player interfaces with the game um, and kind of comes out the other side with without that feeling of burnout that they otherwise you know might have kind of suffered from right no no i i, I think you're absolutely right like if you're absolutely enamored with the game you're not going to feel the pain of like kind of doing all these things that you yeah you don't like if you absolutely love every single thing that ever happens in destiny you're going to be and it's your game right like you know you're going to be like fuck yeah i want to do all this pinnacle quest part of the pain for destiny with me is that like i haven't played elden ring since i started playing destiny and that's because i wanted to get the stuff done in destiny because it was time you know like you know it's going to reset next week right um, and that kind of like frustrated me is that like i feel obligated to play destiny when i want to be playing elden ring at some level right um, uh, so yeah i definitely think i definitely think that's a a, a big part of it um, you know unrelated to all this do you think destiny seasons are are well timed you know, three or four months. Um, I have not played any of them long enough to give like a really good, like okay. a, a really a really good evaluation of that, right? Like, sure. Um, just the way I play games is like I want to like do I want to go hard on them, right? And I and so I have trouble spacing them kind of out, um, as a personal thing. Okay. Um, yeah, that's interesting because you know something that I think about when uh, when when I'm thinking about wow wow also has seasons obviously. Um, WoW seasons have been eight months in Shadowlands. In BFA, it was about six months. In Legion, it was about five months, maybe five or six months. 
Um, so, you know, like this, the, the length of the season has sort of gotten longer over time. Um, and on one hand, I like that idea, right? Um, something that I saw that I thought was a really awful idea. Someone was like, they should start a new season in WoW on the 0.5 patch, right? Um, which is to say that like, it'd be like, oh yeah, you do, you do the 0.5 patch, you bring in a new raid, and you you get rid of the old one. You you get you rotate your mythic plus things, and and the, w these these patches tend to be four months apart, right? So every four months you would cycle into a new season, and I was like horrified by that, right? Because there are seasonal objectives that I want to be done with in nine point two, and we just passed nine point two point five, right? Like I, we would have been shit out of luck. We would not have gotten ahead of the curve, right? Um, and it and it brought up this idea in my head, like what is the right length for a season? Um, because something something that I have done is sort of put put stuff on WoW on the back burner, even though I know I have some seasonal objectives that I haven't quite gotten to, right? One of the things that I intend to do is get as much gear out of the creation catalyst to complete the arms, war, the, the, the warrior um, tier set appearances, right? I, I want to get all of those appearances. Um, that requires a certain amount of farming that I just really haven't super done yet. I just kind of don't care to, and maybe at some point I'll get around to it, but like it is a long season and I trust that there will be a couple months down the line for me to get there. Right. I don't need to break the bank essentially. Um, but in a world where, you know, the, you know, the end of the season is creeping up on you, that could be problematic. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think, I think the thing you think you're pointing out there is the fundamental balance between hardcore players and like more like you know the starting is the scale rather like the scale between like the most hardcore players and the most casual players right like you want to have enough time so that like I guess like everybody who's moderately dedicated can do what they need to want 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 to do um, because if you make it too long then like your moderate players get bored um, and your your hardcore players have been bored for a long time because they presumably have done as much as they can at the earlier points whereas your more casual players you want enough of them. Like, you want it to be short enough that, like, your very casual players aren't actually hitting their goals to kind of maybe push them to engage more, right? Like, um, yep. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess that's a, a big part of it, too, is just kind of like what's in the, what's in the mix. And maybe, maybe that's my fundamental problem, right? Like, I have my life obligations now that, because I'm like a real adult, right? I've got WoW and I've got Destiny and maybe that's just like one thing too many. So I guess I have to give up on life and I have to just play video games. All the <laughs> <laughs> go back to Elden Ring. Yeah. Give up on give up on life, go back to Elden Ring. I yeah, I feel that for sure. Uh, but yeah. Um Yeah, I think we've come to about the end of it though. Yeah. Uh what what is what is your what has your week been like? Uh yeah, so um just kind of on things that we talked about briefly during the thing is I started rewatching the Tim Rogers Cyberpunk 2077 review. Fuck. Um, yeah. Um, so, like, I rewatched the opening vid because that was the thing I had watched uh, the first time. And, mm -hmm. and then he mentioned it's like, this is going up on, like, October or whatever. I'm like, oh, God, it's been, like, eight months since that review went up. <laughs> no. Yeah, I know. You're right, though. Yeah. I, and part of that is that he hasn't put anything out since, you know – you know, he said he says during the first one, he's like, none of them are going to be as long as this one is. I'm like, yeah, 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 right, buddy, <laughs> right? Like, um, yeah. you know what? I, I I don't know what it, what is happening, but the YouTube meta of insanely long video essays has gotten pretty pretty incredible, right? Um, you know the the three like 
just the the Quentin reviews reviews of uh, of like iCarly and Victorious, which is like sixteen hours of content or whatever. And like, and I, I what I, like I think that's kind of a funny meme, right? But I also look at it and I'm just like, how did this guy stretch sixteen hours of iCarly content out of this thing? Blows my mind. No, I mean, and it's actually it's kind of um, it's kind of interesting because so like, um, YouTube so. We're going to be talking about YouTube, and I'm an employee of Google, and none of my things I express in this program represent Google or anything, and I have no whatever. You, you know what? All that good stuff, right? Uh, but YouTube essentially has a time period for which it'll start – like it remembers what you've watched. And so I've started been, – been, YouTube is recommending me content that I've already watched, but I watched it like three or four years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the big one for me with this one is I watch a lot of um, Seth Tzinch um, content. Right. And it's funny because it's like his earlier videos are like four to eight minutes long. But the stuff he's putting out now, the stuff that he's putting out like in the more recent past is like 20 minutes long. Right. And he's not like, you know, a super long form content person. Right. Just but like watching these all the stuff tick up. Right. Like I started to be watching um, like, you know, like Red Letter Media, you know, controversial on this channel, maybe given given our our positive uh, uh, appraisal of the prequels. um, They've always been doing that like that length of content. But they just crossed a million subscribers. They just crossed a million subscribers in like the last year or two. And now they're at 1.5. So I, you know, I think that that's like pointing, like you're saying, like the YouTube meta is pushing towards longer form content. And I, and I feel like the stuff that I'm watching going viral on YouTube, right? Like Dan Olson's NFT video or the defunct land video on FastPass. Those are two hour plus, yeah. you know, those are two hour plus YouTube videos, right? Um, like ContraPoints has been having a ton of success with, with super long um youtube videos and she just put out you know her most recent video not only did she just put out her most recent video but people are there's a backlash to that most recent video which you know i guess i i don't know how much i want to talk about dumb contrapoints drama but basically one of the um uh no spoilers uh, i have it queued up to watch at some point i okay i will okay that's fine um one of the types of videos that she has done in the past, she has she's kind of done two. One is a classic video essay, but it, ha- it has all this set dressing, right? You know, um, so in the video Envy, there are different sections where she is still contrapoints and she is narrating to a, a screen. She's reading a script, all the normal video essay stuff, right? Um, but there's a part in Envy where, you know, she's talking about how Marie Antoinette was this intense figure of, of sort of repressed political envy right um and she became kind of uh infamous or like i i want to say like anti-deified in a way um uh like like just i guess demonized is the is the opposite of of the word i'm looking for um for being kind of the the archetypal bourgeois whatever who is disconnected elite right Exactly, right? You know, uh, obviously when I say Marie Antoinette, people think, let them eat cake. Which never happened. She never, which she never said, yeah. right? Um, you know, she she was executed and her last words were sorry to the executioner because she stepped on his foot. You know, like, they, they essentially coerced a, a made-up confession out of her son by getting him insanely drunk and, and getting him to lie... Uh, you know, on the record, it's the 1700s. What is the record, right? The French Revolution. Um, yeah. Exactly. Um, and uh, and and during that and during that section of the video, you know, she she is a 
like a walking corpse of Marie Antoinette, right? Like that, that is the, that's the stuff that makes contrapoints like contrapoints. Um, in her most recent video, she has gone back to a format that, uh, that she's done in the past, which is this sort of debate between imaginary characters, right? Where there are a couple of imaginary characters in a scene and they are, they are all represent different sort of like ideological positions and points of view. Um, and they're having they're having some sort of uh, some sort of conversations, and these are uh, historically these are the videos that get contrapoints in trouble because what happens is, and I like I don't want to I don't want to. Let me guess. She's playing that character, and she says something that she doesn't necessarily agree with, but it's like representing through that character, and somebody clips that clip out of context. And just, and like that that's kind of the thing right like these are the they get her in trouble because like i if i'm if i think i am interpreting you know whatever natalie win correctly the point of those videos is not to be definitive right if she has a definitive point she's just going to make a straight up video she's just going to tell you what she thinks about this thing right she's going to say hey i think that there is a a you know a regressive envy problem in the far left in mainstream politics, right? And here's why. And here's the two-hour video explaining that that entire hypothesis, right? Um, what she's doing in these in these more sort of like symposium videos, right? Like these debates, um, is she's getting a bunch of characters who have complicated, contradictory points of view, and these people don't have neatly fitting you know, like arguments and they are butting heads with one another and certain of them are making good counterpoints to others of them. But people consume these and they go, well, who won? Who won the debate? Who won the argument? This one person is, I think, the winner, but also they said all this fucked up shit. And it's just like, buddy, you are like missing the point. Who <laughs> if that's who? how you want to approach this Which stuff. Natalie Wind owned which other Natalie Wind? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Anyway, this uh, this contrapoints video is very good. Is, 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 is this what the I will hunger? Say. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the hunger. The hunger is intensely good. Um, because and the thing that makes it so good, by the way, is that it is all of the political stuff which is in there, but is secondary to the overall point, which is a deeply like personal, like oh, you know, like I have a certain parasocial relationship with it, with all of these YouTubers, right? Um, but, but in general, you know, I understand what parasocial relationships are. I try and keep that, that sort of feeling at arm's length because I think it's bad and, and everything else or whatever. Um, and I have never felt more true and like visceral empathy for ContraPoints, the creator than this video, because it's just like, oh, that must suck. That sucks so bad. You know, it's just that kind of a thing. Yeah. No, I, I totally get that. I totally get that. Um, yeah. And the rough thing is, like, how authentic is that, right? Like, there's a there's a philosophy tube video um, from before from before her transition where, th where, ironically, philosophy tube is doing the exact same thing. He has a bunch of characters who are arguing from different points of view. And the thing that, that um, in the video she's interrogating is what – does authenticity mean on a space like YouTube, right? Um, pointing out that that Philosophy Tube made a video about suicide and about her own thoughts of suicide and about what those thoughts look like. And during that video, you know, she she gets really emotional and she starts like crying on film, right? And one of the characters in the video says to the other, 
I know for a fact it took you six takes to get there. If you did that six times with the express purpose of creating that emotional reaction, that's not authentic, right? And it's like, yeah, well, you know, that's acting, right? <laughs> like that's that's no. that's how cinema, that's how television works, we, right? We, we talked about this with uh, Bo Burnham's Inside, and the bloopers just yeah. came out, and I kind of don't want to watch them because I'm afraid it's going to destroy some of the the the, the magic there. Because I think like the I have watched most of it, um, and first of all, it's very good. Who obviously, right? There's actually a bunch of bits in there that are so funny that I'm like, why did you put this in? The outtakes. This should have been in the real special. This is really good shit. All right. Now I have, um, to, now I have to go watch it. Where, where is it actually on? Uh, I think it's on his YouTube channel. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, there are moments where you watch you watch him producing the songs. Honestly, the, the one that the one that is going to, like, fuck you up is any of the songs where you he's lip syncing, right? Because he is showing you the audio and the piano isn't on, right? And he is sort of singing, right? Like you can tell that he is singing the song that he is singing. Um, uh, but he is taking like specific takes, right? Like there's the, there's the moment in welcome to the inner, welcome to the internet where, where it's like, uh, you know, like he, he has an insert of looking to the camera and he goes, you should kill your mom. Right. Right. And the outtakes show all of the takes of him doing that specific insert. And he doesn't sing the whole song and then looks to the camera. No, he just does it where he does the end two bars of the previous section. He looks to the camera and says the line and then looks away, right? Um, and it's like that stuff, that's the artifice, right? Yeah, no, I mean, and like the songs part were less of it. The, the things that I was, that I'm more afraid of getting pushed off of are like, the intercalary bits where it's like him like talking to the camera as if he's like this is him in the middle of the creative process. Sure. Which like you know Yeah, I mean to be fair. I haven't watched the whole thing. Maybe it's in there. But to be fair, there is nothing like that okay. in uh in the outtakes, right? Like the the I'm turning thirty, you know, monologue where he's talking to the camera and he's like gonna hit the thing. Um uh at midnight. As far as we know, that was legitimate. Yeah. So the the big one for me is the one where he like, like is like aggravated and like knocks over the camera, right? Like whether or not that was real or not is is the one that I kind of don't want to know. Um, uh, and don't tell me if it's in there. Or I not. don't want to uh, know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. yeah, I have gone back and watched Inside like a million times. By the way, <laughs> like it is very swiftly become just something that I that I just like will have on on my other screen because. It's just so good. Oh, it, it ruins me how good that how good it is. Yeah, like I, I don't you know I I think it is going to be the definitive piece of art about the pandemic, right? Like I think yeah. I, I think that's the bigger like you know there's a lot of like you know millennial ennui that's like obviously a big part of the the theming there, but it is like it is the only thing that I think even begins to to kind of capture what being stuck inside during the pandemic was really like, um, yeah. Uh, Cause it, it, you know, it, it's funny. People are saying that like, like there's stuff that's coming out like now. Cause it's like, it's sort of all the production cycle that was like produced during the pandemic. And you can kind of tell, right. Like stuff that's like, you know, a couple of people inside of like a small, like, you know, one room. Right. Like, um, mm. there yeah. Were, the Steven Soderbergh movie is the one that everyone's talking about. When it comes to that, which one, um, it's on HBO max. I can't remember what it's called. Okay. Stars the 
Batgirl, not Batgirl, Catwoman actress. I can't remember any of these names. But yeah, the Red Letter Media guys were going over a couple of things and they mentioned that one of the actors very clearly had like a line on his face from where the mask was like that he had on right before he took it off to like do, do the scene. That's right? funny. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, otherwise, the only other thing I do want to mention that, I, that I've been uh, that I got into um, was uh, the Angry GM, which is somebody I, I used to read pretty, pretty religiously. I just kind of fell off because of like time constraints. He as one of his Patreon tiers is like early access to articles, but he also started doing proofread allowance. He's been doing them for a while, but he finally put them in like an RSS feed that you could put in the podcatcher. So I've been oh, basically catching yeah. up on that. So you know, it's been it's been a lot of fun just because like like one I think he's he's got some pretty good thoughts on on gymming advice. Like his style sometimes leaves a little bit to be desired. He's like very acerbic. Like that's like his whole shtick. Um, but like you know, I've been listening since like to his stuff from like well this time last year. And he's talking about like how he does overland travel and how he does like his tension pull mechanic. And he started running an open world game and he talked about like the mechanics that he's putting in behind that and how he's doing it and how like running the open world game is actually like a relatively prep minimal and like how you need to be ready to do this kind of stuff. And I found it very, very engaging. So what is his open world game like? Um, like what are the mechanics that he's putting in? So it's not a lot of specific, like a lot, a lot of his stuff is like, you know, first of all, it's in, it's, he's running it in three, five. And second of all, it's like, you know, don't like run the rules as they as they are for the most part. And then like the, the big things are like, you know, um, the players have to go like have to direct their own action. Right. Like, you know, it's like we've played a lot of adventure modules where you're basically kind of like like if not exactly a railroad, you're kind of like on the tracks, at least for most part. It's like, you know, you have to like the players have to figure out what they want to do. And in the process of doing that, you have to have – you just have, like, things set up so that the process of getting there has stakes and consequences, right? Like, and he uh, accomplishes a lot of this through, like, tension pool type stuff where it's like, you know, oh, it's, like, four days of travel. So I'm rolling dice to see if there's an encounter. And some of those encounters are random. Um, and some of them don't really have any reward because you need – like, you in order for the exploration to matter, you have to have some spaces be nothing, Right. Um, and there, there's a lot, there's a lot here that I'm skimming over very briefly, but like he doesn't have a ton of custom mechanics, just a lot of kind of like, this is how you should, this is, this is a lot of his style, right? Like it's running it by the rules, but like with certain like emphasis placed in different ways, right? Like you should be using your encumbrance mechanics. You should be like, what's the, what was, what was the big thing? Um, ah, this is, this is what I thought was a really good article. It was about um, how you adjudicate a quicksand pit, right? Like, he's like, a lot mm -hmm. of people on the internet will tell you that a quicksand pit is like a bad encounter because you either you either walk around it or you or you don't and you get stuck in it and there's no, nothing interesting there, right? And he's like, the problem is is you're considering it totally in isolation, right? What you need to do is like think about it as part of like a bigger picture, right? Like. You are traveling through the woods or, you know, the jungle, I guess, is probably the more appropriate climb, right? You're traveling through the the jungle and you, for whatever reason, have a complication in, in the player's paths and they silently fail some check. And so you, you go to the party and you say, you're at some, uh, you know, you know, Catherine, the warrior, your foot sticks in the in the ground and you can't pull it out. What do you do? Right. Um, 
and he and then he also goes through it in parallel. It's like in the alternate scenario, you know, the party rogue saw it and warned warned Catherine, and they walked around it. And maybe that was nothing, but that's fine because you just got past it. And the interesting part will be something else that happens down the line, right? Like, it is part of the matrix of things that happens. And the fact, like, the fact that it as an individual encounter might just be kind of, you know, like a, a succeeded check that, that doesn't do anything doesn't matter because the, the, the whole matrix and mosaic of what's happening is the adventure, not the individual elements, which I thought was like a, a really important and strong point. That actually is amazing. And I really agree with it. And honestly, it, it kind of feels like I feel like I have done that in a lot of places, right? Where like, like drilling too deep into the, into like the specifics um and uh and like wanting to cut out some of that you know stuff that just feels like it's it's like unimportant fluff or whatever because it's just oh well do you pass the check yes no right um whereas something like combat is is, is a much bigger ordeal right um that's really interesting yeah no he, he's got a lot of great stuff right like i that's cool i have always wanted to play a, a truly like open world game i've had one in my head for the longest time have i ever told you about this on the cast like I've called it, it's called the Seventh Expedition. The, the the premise is that it's like a Lewis and Clark kind of thing, right? The premise is there's this great unmapped like sort of landmass, and there have been six expeditions to map it, all of which have never returned, right? And so the idea is you are the Seventh Expedition, you know, you're going and you're and you're mapping the whatever, but part, but like, and. There's there's like stuff that happens, which is relatively kind of like isolated or whatever. But the narrative through line is you're discovering what happened to all of the other expeditions at the same time, right? This is oh, this is a journal from whatever Bixby, you know, Flobber got him, and he's the he's the gnome illusionist from the second expedition, and he's he's writing about you know you know flipping through pages and doing whatever, right? Like all that all of that um, uh, kind of stuff, and it's just like. The, it's it's one of those like fantasy campaigns that has always sat in the back of my head like what a what a sweet idea um to run a big open world campaign but you know it's always it's tough to pull the trigger on that kind of thing yeah you, you know it's funny because i've also had i think i think we've talked about both of these at various points i've also had this kind of thing but mine was like a little bit more explicitly like based on the northwest passage um oh yeah because like that's effectively the same you know like that's that is part of what the northwest passage was right it was like you know a bunch of failed expeditions um uh that that you know the you know we found out approximately what happened later um so yeah i think that would be uh i i, I think that would be a, a very cool idea like i don't know the so the the thing about the angry open world game is that like there's not even that like like i guess like there's not even that through line right it's like like in that expedition that you're talking about right there's like a thing that's happening right in his game, theoretically, it's just like the players are adventurers and they go find things like very Skyrim style, right? Like, um, except without like imagine Skyrim part without the the dragon stuff, right? Like it's just kind of yeah, like yeah. you're in the world. Like you walk into town, you go into a tavern, and you hear three different rumors, right? Yeah. You know, oh, like the the old bald, you know, the old bald cleric has been has been going into the mausoleum in the middle of the night or whatever, you know, like that kind of stuff. God, that also sounds incredibly fun, right? Yeah, no, he he's got a lot of tips on that too. It's like it was like, oh, like so like my one my one player, so one of the things he does is when you like he he said his players found some armor, but it was in a crypt, so it was like full of spiders and needed basic maintenance, but they couldn't wear it yet. So the players had to take it to a blacksmith. And then when they took it to the blacksmith, the blacksmith, like, 
um, mentioned something about something else, which provided a hook if the players wanted to take it, right? Or like, um, and like, um, what was what was part of it? It was like he asked the play. He basically like the players were asked to go like um, he's he's a dwarf and he deals in coin, whereas the town is like very close knit otherwise, and they usually deal in barter. So he's having trouble getting people to pay like to pay up, right? So he asks them to go like collect from the farmhand, and then when they go to the farmhand. Like, the wife mentions to the farmhand, oh, don't forget the gift for the priest. And, like, one of the other players needed a priest to, like, learn a spell from him. Because he, he, he does, like, a lot of little things, right? Like, he doesn't – he requires – in order to level up, he requires his players to have some training mechanism. It doesn't have to be, like, something detailed, right? It just has to be, like, something that's, like – you have to have a justification as to how you're learning this stuff. And okay. And one of his players was a cleric that needed a higher level priest, right? Um and so that was like how he fed that thing in there. So just like he, he's got a God, that's interesting. What a mechanic. Yeah. And it's not a mechanic, right? Like th that's the thing. Like one of his big things is like, these are not mechanics, right? This is just like being a good GM and telling good, like a good narrative, right? Like, you know, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to like, you, you weave these things in and you let the players take them or not. Right. And like, that's, 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 that's true player agency. Right. Like, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, so yeah. No, I I I've been really digging it because like, I've like, <laughs> I started out with like seventy of them, but I'm already down to like thirty. <laughs> so I've been kind of blazing through them. They're only like a half hour each, and I, I listen to two times a piece for like fifteen minutes a piece. So they're 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 also a very good kind of like you know, here's a, a you know a, a break I want to take. It's like a nice bite sized morsel. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> what else have you have you been up to? Oh, uh, something I've been doing. Have you watched the new Stranger Things? No, I haven't watched Stranger Things past season one. Really? Yeah. We never even talked about Bob? I guess not. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, fair enough. Yeah, the new Stranger Things came out and I am doing the uh and I'm doing the rewatch of um of Stranger Things in sort of uh in sort of like concert with that experience. Um I don't know, man. People say that the new season is good, but like, I, maybe I'm just like weirdly jaded about Stranger Things and like the '80s and nostalgia of it or whatever. It's just like, I, I have I have connected with it a much less recently than I'd have uh, previous previous watchthroughs. My my mom actually, at one point during this week, asked me if the way they play D and D during Stranger Things is like D and D, um, and I didn't know because I haven't watched the latest season. So, Owie. yeah, yeah. I mean, she was just like, she was just curious because, like, she knows that I play, but she doesn't know what it's like, right? She's obviously never played. Um, yep. So you know how how is this how is the D and D in Stranger Things season four? I haven't seen. I'm I'm halfway through season two. Um, the Stranger Things D they played D and D in Stranger Things in season one for sure. See, the thing that's weird about it is they have this thing where it's like, oh, you know, what is it? You like, you walk into a room and then they're all like, what is it going to be? It's going to be the Thresher Hydra. What? Like, no, it's going to be the whatever. It's like that, that, that never happens. Right. Right. Um, and I also just feel like that is like out of character for what a D and D game in the eighties would have looked like, you know, where, I don't know. I, 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 think it's, I, I feel like D&D &D got more crunchy over time, right? I th so the Ooh. idea... I think that's really? wrong. I think, like, I like I think that era is, like, the classic kind of, like, you know, dungeon crawl, TPK, like, you know, like, Tomb of Horrors. 
Like if oh yeah, okay, I would agree with that. I'm thinking like three five is the pinnacle of crunch in D and D, right? Okay. In terms of like just like so many like rules on rules on rules, um, which is, but you know what? Actually, okay, actually maybe I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, like I, um, I, I think you're right. I think there's more rules, but I also think that like the game is much more a kind of combat simulator in the early, at least by kind of like module design. Um, yeah. Than uh than than it has been because because it, it grew out of like it grew it grew out of basically like Warhammer style tabletop war mm. games, like individualized. So, um, yeah. But yeah, it, it's just been a lot of that and a lot of a lot of work, a lot of playing uh, uh, like games for for work. The nice thing about Hearthstone is that Control Warrior is legitimately the best deck in the meta, and I think will probably get nerfs, which makes me pretty sad, but it's always funny. People, like, always misrepresent um, what are the best, uh, uh, like, what are the best cards that are that are coming out at any individual, like, like space and time. Um, but there is a current version of Warrior that just gets rid of, like, dead, like, okay, the version of Control Warrior I was playing before this had this incredibly insane win condition where you basically just resisted, resisted, you threw up armor, you killed their guys, you threw up armor, you killed their guys, and eventually you literally run out of your entire deck and you cast a card that puts 10 really powerful cards in your deck and you just win from, you just like, you win from there, you win from that. That deck was fun, but it almost always sucked. Because, like, you were just, it was the grindiest shit, right? Um, the thing that changed is in the new mini set, Warrior just got two sort of, you know, just kind of straightforward armor gain cards. One's in the 3-5 taunt. You know, you play it, you look at your bottom three cards, choose one to put on the top, and you gain armor equal to its mana. Um, and the other one is a an 8-mana eight 5-8 just vanilla minion, battle cry, deal five damage, gain eight armor, right? So it comes into play, gains a ton of armor, and then you just, you smash. And the thing that people realized is that you can play Control Warrior as weirdly the most aggressive deck in the format by just armoring up all the time and trusting that your armor is going to take care of it and you slam minions and go face. So it is like the game plan of Face Hunter interpreted through the lens of warrior where you'd never fight for board you just get you don't give a shit about their minions at all you let them trade into you and if they decide to trade into your face well that's fine because you're constantly ripping spells that are giving you 10 8 10 15 10 armor right like again and again and again um and that and, and it has just been like it's just been a fun deck it's just been a really freaking fun deck to play um which is which is uh, i guess cool and interesting uh though i will be very sad when it gets nerfed i'm sure um because that's what everyone predicts is that it's going to be nerfed into the ground yeah um magic just dropped new Capenna alchemy um which i haven't incorporated really any any into my deck but it's but it's neat stuff because their al their alchemy sets are basically like the stuff that they can only do online um and yep. also and also like revisions right like like um, uh, they like they'll like tweak numbers from like the base set or whatever um in the alchemy mm -hmm. cards, which is super fun. Um, I really like I really like the alchemy format essentially. Um, lets me pull on some cards that I otherwise don't have access to, like the 
glory that is just kind of like they like the, so before I needed like an like a a a kind of like set piece actuator card for the most part for my cap and stack tricks. Um, okay. Like I needed like something. I need like the best I got was like a two mana thing, but like with alchemy, I've got it's called like like village rights or communal rights or something like that. It's one black, um, uh, uh, one black sacrifice creature gain two cards. Um, whereas the 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 kind of most direct set, uh, cap, uh, cap card is I something acquisition I forget what it's called, but it's like one one red three uh, three colorless. Gain control of target creature land and turn it gains haste, blah, blah, blah. But it also grants you a treasure, right? And treasure is like a mana of, you know, a temporary mana of any of any color. Mm-hmm. So as long as I have rights and that in my hand at four mana, I can like, you know, steal, hit, and sack. And there are like so many fun tricks to do with this because like anything that has like an on death effect that's beneficial, it's like, well, that's my effect. Like, you know, it's like not only killing their creature, you're also taking all of the value away from it. It just feels so like the best one I had was someone so uh, one of the, one of my actuator cards for this combo is a it's like a it's like a illithid of some sort or rather no the card on my side is, is a dragon where you activate its activated ability you sacrifice a creature and it gains indestructible and some other effects right the other player had like an illithid and that has like a you know control target creature until the illithid leaves the field and he grabbed my my uh, it's called like Emerson Predator. He grabbed it. I grabbed it back with this cap ability, and then I used and that pulled back my Emerson Predator along with the Elithid, and then I used the Emerson Predator to sack the Elithid that was controlling it. And so, oh my god, yeah. And the guy, the guy instantly conceded. It was that's perfect. It was yeah. amazing. Nothing, nothing ever feels feels better than than that kind of. Uh... In that kind of play. It's funny. There's a very similar card in Priest right now, which is um, it is a four mana minion that's battle cry, gain control of a target like creature, death rattle, return it, right? Um, four mana mind control, you say. So, so fucking good, right? But like, obviously, they just, you know, they just kill your guy. And uh, and it's and it's like a huge you, you gained you gained kind of like nothing out of that. So the real tricks with that one is to um, is to like yoink something that has like a powerful death rattle, or it has rush. Maybe use it to clear another minion, or it has taunt. So they have to kill into it before they can get to the guy and like trigger trigger his death rattle. And I've done some very dumb stuff with that. Like there's a hunter deck right now called Big Beast Hunter, which is actually pretty great. I'm, I'm actually really happy with this. Big Beast Hunter is sort of the first control hunter deck i think i've ever really seen um kind of in any in any sort of meta but really what it comes down to is the deck revolves around reducing the costs of beasts like the next the next beats you play you keep reducing that cost by two slamming something huge and then resurrecting it with a card called revive pet right you just discover a beast that died this game resurrect it right um and, uh, and I was up against that deck, and the guy slammed his first, I think it's called, like, Mountain Grizzly. You know, huge seven mana, five, seven taunt, you know, death rattle. It spawns two, two fours with taunt, right? And you know this is the thing he wants to get into his death pool so that so that he can start resurrecting it over and over again. And, uh, and I stole him. I just, I, you know, I, played the, I played the guy, I stole it. Not only do they have to get through one taunt minion, they have to get through the two other taunt minions that he leaves behind, right? Right, like, ah, uh, it's the good, it's the good life. Yeah, no, I mean, I, 
Oh, I love that. Like, because like you could, like you could theoretically bounce the controller minion off the table, then it doesn't matter anymore, right? Like, yeah. So like you could like like so if you play it, bounce it, and then play it again, and then pull a second creature, it doesn't. It wouldn't release both back, right? No, it would just release the yeah. one. Actually, interestingly enough, there's also a silence priest um, where you know it wants to silence its own minions. Oh, okay. Um, and they use that guy, right? Like they they pull they pull your creature and then silence the priest so the death rattle doesn't go off. Yeah, that's 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 pretty sick. Honestly, the, the priest has weirdly become like my my you know typically in Hearthstone, my favorite class is obviously warrior, and then it's like mage or shaman, right? Um, which are which are just like both fun fun decks to play um but weirdly priest has become like my number my kind of number two deck um there's you know there's quest priest that just is a is a control deck that includes a card that just wins you the game right um but there is also a death rattle priest which is one of the dumbest decks i've played because holy fuck there is there's a hero card that says you know battle cry you play it, it changes your hero into, new, into a new hero, and it repeats every death rattle that you've ever, you know, like that you've ever played, right? So you just load up your deck with all of the highest value death rattles you can possibly find, right? Um, and like I was playing against a, uh, I was playing against a rogue, and the rogue got me to like less than ten health. I was like like seven health or whatever, and I played that one card. I healed to full and gained twenty five armor, right? So going from seven health to fifty five health was you know like what a swing a 48 health swing in one card it's just like that's the that's the stuff that dreams are made of right mm, absolutely uh hot off the press is apparently uh the unbanned change of heart in Yu-Gi-Oh. thanks for the update uh don PhD. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i fi finally i can go back to playing to playing Yu-Gi-Oh. what i've always wanted to do that's insane change of heart is so good it's the, it's Yu-Gi-Oh's mind control oh is do, we know Don PXG, right? He's like a known friend of the cast. Yeah, that's fail. Oh, that's right. Fail yes, yeah, of course. Of course, fail. Hi, fail. Um, sorry, we've been fuck, failing, I'm sorry, we've been ignoring your, your other chats. Um, but yeah, uh, huge news. Am I right? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we've we're at time and we've got to get to raid in 15 minutes. Uh, yep. or at least I do. I don't know if you're if you're uh. If you're too, I don't know. I'm. I am definitely gonna go lay down after this, and then that'll probably end up with me sleeping. But we'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, if you'd like to tell us about any of the, or like you, you'd like to contribute to the conversation, tell us what you thought of any of the things we talked about on this podcast. Uh, you can reach us at sundersplaygames.com or podcast.sundersplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash sundersplaygames. These go out lives, and usually I have the sound on for the first half hour. Um, uh, that's everything I have. But do you have anything else you want to promote? You know, I have nothing else that I'm looking to... Uh, I have one small thing that I'm looking to promote, which is this weekend there is a an indie showcase called Gorilla Collective, and I would recommend people tune in. All right. Sounds good. With that, I'm going to say uh, until next time, uh, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>